Pastor Subash is coming to share the message that God has placed upon his heart. He is continuing his series, The Burden of the Lord. Praise God. Give him all the glory. Give the Lord a clap offering. So good to be here again this morning. How grateful we are to God for his mercy and his grace. Let's just go to the Father in prayer. Father, we're so grateful again that we could gather on this Lord's day and worship you, Abba, Father, that you are God. You are almighty, you are sovereign, and we come together to acclaim the anthem of the church. The Lord is good, his mercy endureth forever. And thank you, Father, for all that you have done. And in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, we worship you. Be with your people that are here and those that are watching, that you touch them, help them, strengthen them, bless them. We speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, that you have given to us no other name but the name of Jesus that brings salvation and deliverance and healing. And thank you, Lord, that we can come seeking you, that you would fill all in all and meet every needs according to your grace through Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. God's people said, Amen and Amen. It's so good that we can gather here, and let me just remind you that we've been doing the series on burden-bearing, and we've been talking about how important it is. Jesus, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30, talks about his burden being light and uh, the yoke is easy. Obviously, we do have a burden. We do have a yoke to, uh, to the Lord. He carries the bigger burden, and he says, take my rest. And we can come in the midst of all this, uh, whether we like it or not, every one of us have a burden that God gives to us. And I distinguish, as the last time, I'm not going back, the burden that, the, that Satan gives, the burden that we take up upon ourselves unnecessarily, those excess baggage, the burden that uh, the devil gives to us, the burden that the world gives, the burden that even religion does and gives to us, all of these burdens that I addressed the last Sunday, but I'm just not talking about that. I'm talking about the special burden that God gives almost every revival, renewal, reformation, every prayer, uh, or whether it be uh, outpour outpouring, outbreaking, all of this have come because God put a burden, whether it's burden for prayer, whether it's a passionate burden for reaching out and uh, to bring the gospel, the uh, soul savings message, all of this comes with a burden, burden for your gift, your ministry, your peculiar aspect of what you do, whether very important, mundane, they're all important. There's nothing called religious or secular. Everything that we do, including whether ushering or security or whether you are reaching out and greeting, they all comes as a burden that God has given you. Every aspect, whether it is the ministry of the church or the church ministry, whether it is the ministry of... Of the, of the work of God, or whether it is aspect of God reaching out to you in a specific area. I want to just know that there is a deep burden in your heart, a burden that God has given you, and you sense that, and it's very different from the burden that Satan gives. It is uh, something that Satan gives. There's no peace, there's no joy, but particularly 
There's no rest deep down in your spirit. You do not go to God in prayer. You feel insecure. It's a sense of, uh, of a burden that comes upon you and you feel that you're so insecure and you're lost and you have so much in confusion. That is not God's burden. God's burden makes you seek his face more, brings you intrinsically closer to the Father. And I want you to understand, seeking more of God's Holy Spirit, these are burden that God gives to be able to fulfill the ministry. And then burden gives, lifts up when you have accomplished or when you are finished what you are called to do. But God gives you a burden. There's a perennial burden that comes, whether it's a prayer or whether it's in a specific area of reaching out, teaching, ministering. There's so many different burdens. But this morning, I want to talk about the burden that is burden-bearing, that is very important, that many aspects, it becomes unknown to us. Um, it's negative, we say, it's positive, we say, but there's a blessing behind it. If you turn to, Genesis, uh, to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it tells us to bear uh, the burden of the other. And this becomes a very important aspect as we uh, in the ministry, whether it is here within the body of Christ or whether in the family, or whether it's in the community or whatever God calls us to do, there's a tremendous blessing. I'll talk about that. But then there's a burden that we have to bear in verse uh, five, and that is each one carries their own burden. Those things you cannot give to someone else, that becomes your burden, that becomes your responsibility, that becomes your call, and that is very different. I'll tell you the dist uh, distinguish the two. But there's something I want you to understand. A burden is so important that uh, many a times we get what would be the gift of a burden, uh, the burden leaves behind a blessing in many ways. We may not realize it. It comes both as a negative and as a positive. Behind all of this is a powerful, tremendous uh, burden that God gives to us. Now, if you turn to this passage in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, and I'll read from verse uh, 7 onwards, you find this particular situation that Paul uh, had gone through. The Apostle Paul talks about it in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Here's a man that has been used mightily, whether it is a thorn literal in the flesh or whether it's a thorn in the soul, uh, in the terms of emotions or relationship. Oh, it's a thorn, basically, uh, that is to be physical or financial, whatever it is. But he has seen deliverance. He has seen others blessed. But in his case, this is a thorn just so that, given so that he would not be proudful and be taken away from the race, would be taken away from the call, taken away from this magnificent office that God had given to him, that he is gifted to finish his destiny. He goes on to say, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, uh, unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. And so what God is saying is, let it be. It's something that I've given to you. It is something that I want you. It, my grace will see you through. My grace would be your strength. What happens in this case with Paul, he's seen deliverance after deliverance, whether it is physical, whether it's emotional, whether it is in terms of mental, whether it's in terms, whatever it is, physical or financial or whatever, he's seen others delivered. He's seen others where the burdens have been lifted. But in his case, in his case God said, my grace is sufficient. 
God loved him. God wants to bless him. God wants to promote him. But lest all these revelation, all these awesome uh, teachings that God had put into his spirit, into his heart, it would not lift him up. It would not make him feel, I'm better than anyone else. On the contrary, uh, God just gave this so he would have to depend upon God ever more and every day. Thank God for that, because you find among many of the apostles, many of the great leaders, even today, Paul remained right to the end. He fought a good fight, he kept the faith, and he finished his race with triumph. And he basically did an amazing job, and all this with a burden that God allowed, and he recognized and he embraced it, uh, not any other burden that Satan would give, but this one was specific. It really was a blessing in disguise. What I want us to understand is this is part many of us go through. Uh, maybe we have never uh, had a situation like this in the past. All of a sudden, something comes up, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Think about Jacob. He was a man that was... Literally, he did everything what he wanted to do. Uh, he had no impediment. He had no limitation. But as he began to grow, he realized that he was running away from a situation. Not only the fact that he was running away from Esau, from everything to do with his name. And he put on this pretense, a camouflage, that I am not a supplanter, a cheat, what Jacob is, having a light to his father. And now 20 years have gone by. But Esau is now coming and he's afraid. This compelled him. That made him what would be a burdensome to pray, wrestle with God in prayer. So in Genesis chapter 32, you find him wrestling with God in prayer. The passion, the desires of his heart, it was a big burden. But what is significant out of this, even though he became from a corn artist, Jacob, to what would be Israel, a prince with God, but what made and what basically uh, God left behind were an impediment where he had to limp. And I want you to understand, in chapter 32 and verse 32, you find that all of a sudden, this is what he had, a man that had never had that problem, but now towards the end, he realized he needed to use uh, uh, maybe something to hold on. Uh, literally, that is what he would do, but what is significant is a spiritual affect uh, parallel to actually leaning upon God. This is not Jacob, and if it was an Israel, he had to lean to become a prince with God, someone that would basically lean upon God, and every day was an experience. I don't know if you've gone through that. You had no impediment, you had no problem, but as you go older, as you grow in terms of your spiritual maturity, you find that God allows something to take place which you never had. And this is, uh, earlier was unlimited. Now God is basically straightening your way. He wants to basically, you to be more focused, more spiritual. The things in the past you found were so important has lost its significance for the beauty that is in God in Christ and for what would be the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You're willing to let go the things that you never would want to let go because you found something greater. What I want you to understand, it is part and parcel of everyone's life, a burden that God gives all of a sudden in, terming, in terms of maturity. I want you to understand, Jacob 
is one, but you can look at Joseph. Joseph, basically, you find in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20, a man actually with such dream, with such amazing vision, and yet landed up of all place in prison while he was faithful in Potiphar's house. And here it is in prison for 13 years, uh, they tell us. That's a long time to be in prison. That becomes an impediment. That becomes a place for a man that was... Uh, destined to be someone great, at least at the youth, when he saw these visions, when his own brothers hated him. I want you to understand, a prison is no place. It is not basically a Harvard school, but it is greater and better than that. Not in any of the greatest institution of learning in Egypt, but it is in a significant place that God limited him into a place. Say he had all the run in his home, he was loved, he had everything his father could reach out to him and embrace him. Now he's lost everyone, in, limited into a prison. And yet it is God that allowed it, although it was Potiphar and his wife that created this, but God allowed this, it became a burden, but that is where his training was taking place. In fact, I wanted to understand, in Psalm 105, uh, reading from verse 17, you will find an amazing aspect that God speaks about him. He sent a man, this is Joseph before him, even Joseph who was sold uh, for a servant from a loving son to become a servant, what a burden. But the next verse, verse 7, 18, whose feet they hurt with feathers, he was laid in iron. That is the training ground, however much you might despise it. Look at the way with Jacob was, uh, with Joseph was in verse 19, until the time that his word came and the word of the Lord tried him, tested him. There is the fulfillment of God's word that tried him, tested him. That was the training ground. And now look at what happens in verse 20. The king sent for him, loosed him even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. Now, becomes a, a, literally a different situation. Those years locked up, those years limited, those years where he did not have the distraction, uh, he just needed to just focus on God, focus on the things of God, now is playing out when he was set free. Look at what it says in verse 21. He made him lord of all his house and ruler of his substance. What an incredible man. How did he learn this administration skill to be a ruler and one who would be uh, the in charge? But the next verse is amazing. Wisdom, not from the greatest university of Egypt, to bind his princes at his pleasure, to teach his senators wisdom. Where did he get that in the time? where it was a burdensome prison, in a time when you were laid up in the bed wondering what is going on, in a time when it was a burden, you couldn't, you couldn't even get a job, that became such a burden. That was not wasted, that was a time that you leaned onto God and the burden drove you closer and more importantly, get to love God, got to love his word, got to love seeking God in prayer, got to love doing the things that God wanted you to do. There was not the run of the whole field because you could have been distracted but God limited this oh yeah earlier you did not want limitation now it is the hand of God bringing that limitation 
You know what is interesting is David had great promises. David basically was anointed literally three times, but the first time it was a tremendous anointing. Samuel had to come taking his own life because if Saul had found out that would be the end of this man. And yet Samuel anointed him. Even Samuel did not realize it was David. He looked at the oldest down to the youngest and God said, I don't look at the outward man. I look at the inside. And David chose God chose David to be a man after his own art, despite the failures. But let me just remind you, what was important is all of this you would have thought would have made him a great king. That's not how he became a great king. In fact, you realize in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, remarkable, this man challenged a huge Goliath. And before the king and before the entire nation, this was a young man that came to life. But just like Saul of Paul, God did not want him to be proudful. God did not want him to be someone that comes in and says an easy cake and depending on his own ingenuity or his own strength, God had to make him into what would be a situation where Saul and all his army became such a burden. In fact, if you read First Samuel chapter 19, and verse 20, you get a bit of it. It says, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. And things begin to change. It was not what would be a fun-filled life for a man that had such promises who would be the next king was hated. He was chased. In fact, he made his home in the wilderness. I have a series going on on Wednesday calling about the wilderness, the deserts of our life that make us, the very thing that we thought would break us actually is what makes us. The worst time of your day, the life you went through series, you says the worst, it's the nightmare of my life. Go back in hindsight and you look back and say that was the day of the greatest blessing. What made it? Time. But you look back and you realize, oh my God, the greatest lesson I learned was in the most difficult moments of my life. I thank God for that. But at that moment, you had no thanks. You never understood all of the purpose. It was nothing but a burden. And you said, why are you doing this to be God? When you came out of that hole, when you came out of that situation, when you came out of that burden that God put you in, what you realize is a man of God, a woman of God, a ministry of God is now made and discovered and ready to go out into the world. You know, when you think about the David, look at the situation, the many Psalms that he cried, running away from Saul running away from the army of people that once he commanded among people that who had won and shouted Saul slays his thousand but David is ten thousand now he's running like a dog being chased by them it is so hard it is so difficult but I want you to understand the lessons that David learned that made him it was in the wilderness it was in the caves particularly a cave of Abdullam those lessons and trials and training is what made him the greatest king of all time in Israel then and even today they look up to him what is so remarkable is he writes about this uh, the track that the situation that he bears his soul the persecution he's going through 
When you turn to Psalm chapter 7, verse 1, he's crying out, save me, save me from them that persecute me. In fact, he talks about his enemies as lions seeking to pray. And verse 2 talks about, uh, lest, he, uh, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there's no one to deliver. He's running for his life. He's running, and then comes his parents. Join him, you know, that one time they were estranged. Even though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord take me in. But now they come. They're standing with him in that time of trouble. Thank God for families. Then comes others who basically in the eyes of the world were worthless and useless, but out of them comes uh, the training to become the finest fighting force that this nation ever had. Uh, the greatest empire was in the time of David and this people in the leadership take note from this man. He didn't go to any great university. The cave, the wilderness, those burdensome places were his training grounds that made him one of the greatest uh, men that we can think about in the Bible, in the Old Testament. But I wanted to understand, he talks about being enlarged. Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1 talks about this enlargement that God he serves chapter 4 and verse 1, hear me, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Those burdens actually enlarged my capacity in spiritual, capacity in terms of emotional, capacity in terms of my intellectual. I had to be stretched out. These were things that stretched capacity to love, capacity to draw closer to God, capacity to know more about God. The things that I've gone through, it is this burden that literally I thought would break me actually made me because the burden was a blessing in disguise. So you can read that in chapter 18 of Psalm and verse 36. Look at what he says, thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet didn't slip. Even though I was running, even though I was cradling the high hills to run away from the enemies that were pursuing me, you actually through that process which I thought was the the worst day of my life actually turned out to be the best day of my life. That was a lesson that I learned to be enlarged because you were opening things that otherwise I would never have opened. If I had never gone through the experience, I would have never been enlarged in my heart spiritually, in my spirit, in my soul, in my body, and in every capacity, even in my well-being all around, even financially, positionally, otherwise. They make you focus. They make you what would be professional. They make you what God wants you to be, the person you want you to be, that no other training would ever have given you you were in God's school of training. You were actually got your education kneeling before God in prayer. The greatest lessons you've learned was in that burdensome moment. You wish at that moment you would never had it. Now you thank God you had it and you've come through it and God has blessed you. Amen. What I want you to understand is this is all true and this is very powerful. You can read it again and again, the lives of every one of these great men that God has used. They were burdened. That is not by the world. That is not themselves doing it. Uh, that was not uh, Satan. It was not a religion, but it was God that placed that burden. That is how ministries come to be. You've been called into prayer. God gives you a burden for prayer. And then you be 
begin to go through that wrestling of prayer. Oh, it can hurt you. It can humble you. It can knock you. But then prayer warriors are made in such a crucible of fire. So too, whether you are in the deliverance, so too in any aspect of the ministry, not just alone in spiritual, whether it be in the security, whether it be uh, taking charge of things in the house of God. You see, my friend, again, there's nothing called secular and religion. Everything in the terms of God is a gift and a talent that God gives you, but he enlarges the capacity through those trials, through those difficult moments that we would call a burden. But very important, I want you to understand that I want to keep you focused today on a very important passage, and that is found in Psalm 68 and verse 19. I want you to listen carefully to this passage in Psalm 68 and verse 19. It says, blessed be God. That is a, oh, bless God, bless you. Blessed be God. And he says, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Just think about it. Just pause, put brakes on. Think for a moment. What is there to think? What is there to think? Pause and think again. Let me read it again. Blessed, God is always blessed. But in this particular situation, I bless God because he has daily loaded me, burdened the word load. When you look at the amplified or other version, who daily weighs me down who loads me, who burdens me with benefits, with benefits. You go for a job, they tell you it's your salary. When you say, yeah, yeah, after that. What after that? Benefits. Is there pension? Is there health insurance? Is there sick leave insurance? Is there all of these assurances of benefit? I am interested in that. Who is not interested in benefits? Here is the benefit of being loaded, burdened, not just one time a year on your birthday or Christmas or Thanksgiving. Who daily loadeth us, burdens us, weighs us with benefits, even the God, not the world, not Satan, not self-induced, not religion. The God of our salvation, pause, break on. Just think about it. Just think about it. Daily, he has put such burden, not of guilt, not of shame, but benefit. And the end of the day, when I rolled the stone this way, I looked, it's a pot of gold. It's a pot of diamond. It is invaluable that you cannot compare with any other thing. And you look back and say, Blessed be the Lord who daily burdens us and loads us with such benefits. Even the God, just to be sure, not self, not Satan, not world, even the God of our salvation. I'll think about it and think about it and think about it and thank you. Every time you think about it, you thank God for it. Think, thank God. That is what it says. So let's just begin. I thought I would complete the entire, uh, basically, uh, chapter 
But the eight o'clock reel, I came to realize it's bigger than I thought it would, so, but we'll try. 68 and verse one, it begins this way. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. The first benefit that he weighs down on us, the great weight that he puts on us that is a benefit is I come to realize the way of the benefit of God rising up. He that keepeth you will neither slumber nor sleep. He's awake. He keeps appointments even though you may not. He's there where you should have been. And even if you're not been there, he's there. His eyes is looking. He's got you in his heart. He's got you in his mind. And you are the apple of his eyes. He's got you covered. Let God arise. You remember this phrase? When you're going through a whole lot of situation, just remove the first G, let go, and let God. Let go, let God know he's got your back. Know that he's with you. Know even when you think you're alone, look down and see another footstep. That is the man of Galilee. He is walking with you. He's talking with you. He is loving you. He's speaking and telling you. And this message is so peaceful, the Holy Spirit brings. It is the Lord that's cradled you. It is the Lord that is being with you. It is the Lord that is uh, protecting you. It is the Lord that is providing for you. It is the Lord that is giving you the health and the strength. And all the situations that you have gone through, you've come about because it is the Lord. And the Bible says, let God arise. And that he is. That is the greatness of our God. You know, when you think about David, he's so much grateful for God that has risen in the time when he was in a ditch, in a time when he was in a problem, when a time when he even created his own problem, but God was risen to lift him up. And I want you to understand, he's, the Bible say, talks about it, the psalmist says, he's the lifter of my head. And that is what he does. He's arisen. In reality, when you look at what Jesus did, buried, and the third day he rose, he rises and he's risen for you and me. And resurrection and the fact of resurrection is such important. Thank God for Yeshua and Messiah. I want to realize one of the things the psalmist says in many passages, you can read it again and again. If you take Psalm chapter 3 and verse 7, look what he says. The Lord is risen and why to save me? Oh my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. You have risen to save me. When you go into Psalm chapter 10 and verse 12, look again. He's talking about how the Lord, arise, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the humble. The Lord has been there when you brought down, load down, and you have been seeking God, not for vengeance, but looking to God. You could have done some crazy stuff, but the Lord, he says, Lord, rise and lift up your hand and save me. And that is a great promise. Even when, uh, when you look at Psalm 
74 and verse 22, this is what God says, Arise, O God, plead your own cause. Remember how foolish man reproaches you daily. We live in a time where God's name is taken in vain. They're blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the big fashion today. Uh, there are certain things you're told not to do in the name of political correctness, but there's something you are allowed to do, and that is curse God. It seems to be the fashion, almost every word. Most of the movies come out with this. And here is this man saying, Arise, plead your own cause. Remember how foolish. They may have a couple of degrees. They may have a lot of money. But daily foolish reproach you daily. Rise up. It's important to understand when you look at all of this again in uh, Psalm chapter 82 and verse 8. He's talking about rise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. It's yours, and you are the great judge before whom we will have to stand. The first one is for those who do not know to judge, stand at the judgment seat of God and for us to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and not to be judged, but in terms of where our works, it will be burned if it will be burned by fire but only gold and the things that do not burn refined it will be standing. It is to do with the, the, the rewards that you would be receiving. I want you to realize something very important, that God is there with you every moment of the day. One of the things I find, not only the fact when you were born from the cradle to the grave, you find the great and mighty Stephen, the first uh, martyr of the early church, when he was being stoned, he looked up and he saw the Savior standing to receive. What an incredible, amazing Savior. What an incredible Lord. I want you to understand when you think about all of these, arisen. He's risen and he's always there, rise, and he will never be seated until you are in the place. The Bible talks about the Lord seated, and yet you find a rise. Rise up, O oh God, rise up. You know, one of the things you find in this is a powerful passage of God risen up. This is a cry that the people of Israel, even they embarked on the journey, they would make. And when you look at what uh, the Bible talks about it, it says in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 34 and 35, you look at 35, it simply says, in, uh, as the cloud went upon, but in the next verse, verse 35, it came to pass when the ark set forward, this is the times they would move. Moses said, rise up, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, let them that hate you flee before you. And then, as they would make a stop, this is when they were moving, and then when the pilgrims of the wilderness were coming to a halt, the next verse in verse 36 will tell you, it came to pass when it rested, he said, return, O God, unto you, unto the many thousands and thousands of your people. So return back because we're taking the rest. Rise, Lord, we go forward. You go ahead of us. So he's the God who goes before us, who covers us behind, and every aspect of our life. Thank God for such a great savior. Number two, the benefit that we receive from the burden that the Bible says uh, who daily burdens us wonderfully, nicely, who loads us with benefit. That is number two, found in chapter 68 and verse one again. It says, rise up, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let me just remind you, if there's anything that the devil wants to do on your life, he wants to play a number on you, he wants to scatter you, he wants to confuse you. That is his plan. 
That is his game, that is his plan. And that is what he desires to do, simply confuse you. Whether it be in the spiritual realm, whether it be in the mental realm, whether it be in the emotional realm, whether it be in the, in the heart or the issues of the life, where it would be, or whether it be in your physical, whether it be in your financial, in your professional, that is what he does. He brings confusion in the family, he brings confusion in the relationship. But I want you to realize that God wants you to stand and stand on what he has done for you. And let me remind you, when you go back into what Calvary means, where Jesus Christ died, and not only he died, but he rose, it is a tremendous foundation from which we not only derive of all things salvation and everything else along with it, whether it be the healing, uh, secondary things like healing, or whether it be uh, uh, confidence and uh, all of that, but there's something to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12, on the ground of the shed blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony, we find, uh, they, uh, I'm sorry, it's basically 12, 11 maybe. It tells us on the, the, they won the victory because of the blood and because of what Jesus Christ did. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, they loved not their lives unto death. That is so powerful. But I want you to realize when you look at the scattering, proudful people, people that hate God, people they think that they have somebody and try to knock down God, find that the end, no matter how big they are, no matter how mighty they are, no matter how much money they have, in the end, God calls them foolish. But if you take Genesis chapter 11, and verse 7 and 8, the first word is confusion, the second word is they are scattered. Look what the people thought, they could make a, a huge uh, temple reaching up to heaven, a man-made system and one-man government, and yet when you look at it, God says, let us go down. They confound their language, they may not understand each other. It is not long after, because when you look at a few decades before, you find Noah's three children and Noah having certainly the law of God and the word of God and commandments of God and to love God and then look a generation or two or three away they're totally turned against God but the next verse you find in verse 8 look at what it says it says so the Lord scattered them abroad from then from the face of the earth that is what God does in scattering there's something we need to realize throughout the Bible, we think about Satan scattering, we think about the world scattering us, we think about the enemies of God scattering us. That's what that would they gain. But let me remind you, on the ground of what God does, we need to pray, and this is not a witchcraft prayer. That is what the world and the arch enemy does, but we go into deep prayer. The soul calls unto soul, and you see the water flowing. You need to understand this calls for deep prayer. And what happens is there is a real deliverance. Uh, the nation of Egypt then, and Pharaoh then, was very powerful. Uh, today we're not talking about the present-day Egypt, nor the president. We're talking in terms of spiritual, we're looking at satanic host and Satan himself and one of the things you find the lessons of the Old Testament teaches us how Satan not only wants to enslave them and once they are set free Satan would not give up he would run after to squander to squatter to basically think like the Amaleks 
in the period when the lag end of the of the great march party was going the lag end were the weak the old women those in labor those at children and then comes the amalek suddenly like that very fast thank god that moses and ur and uh, and uh, aaron stood up on the mountain and joined in prayer in seeking that is what i'm talking about while there is the responsibility of battling the enemy in the natural there's always the responsibility spiritually that is the mountain prayer seeking god closeness to god what happens in this place was Pharaoh is running after, they've got everything organized, they've got their men, the marching fine, the chariots, the horsemen, all that is fine. Outwardly, they are the finest, the greatest fighting force in the then known world. And yet when you turn to Exodus chapter 14, reading verse 24 and verse 25, look at what happens here. Who got scattered? It says, and it came to pass that in the morning, Watch, the Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians and through the pillar of the fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of Egyptians. In the next verse, it goes on to say, and took off their chariot wheels and took off, they drove heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of God, Israel, for the Lord fighted for them against the Egyptians. God got involved in the fight. God's right in the center because there were people praying, save us, O Lord, and God Arise, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Not you, the enemies of God be scattered. It's very powerful principle you see. Again, we talked about Numbers chapter, again, let's just read 10 and verse 35 once again. It says, let God arise. So before they set out on their journey, this is what Moses would proclaim openly. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Oh yeah, we know. The moment we are going to gain ground, whether in terms of your education, whether in terms of your promotion, whether in terms of your ministry, whether in terms of your economic development or your uh, mind or academic or whatever it be, there will always be Satan trying to scatter the seeds, scatter the family, scatter everything that God has for you. Take away the dreams, take away the word. And he comes like a raven bringing in, taking away the seed. So what is so important that you find is uh, to seek God and to make sure he doesn't scatter you, but on the other hand, they come uh, many ways and they run out four times more running away from you, scattering away because of the powerful presence of God. Burden, that is important. And what 68 of Psalm and verse 19 says, he loaded us with benefit. That is the second benefit. That he not only arises to help you, but in the burden that he gives you, you're going to find that God is there for you. He's got He's got your back, but the fact that he is there, not allowing you to be scattered, but you need to know that he will help scatter the enemy if you seek to him. There is one thing, a spiritual realm that Moses, Aaron did, but the second part is what the Joshua did, which is in the ground. I will talk about that responsibility. There's one thing that is sovereign that God does, but there is also what would be the human responsibility that we have to do. So that being said, let me just say how important it is when you read these passages. Look at 
I think it is uh, Joshua chapter 10 and verse 10. You remember the Adod Zinab who came in? Uh, the moment Gibeonites came in and made a pact with uh, Israel, suddenly these people came in in big force. Five huge armies come, came against Gibeon. And against, of course, when Joshua heard it, he had to go to defend the Gibeonites. But when you read chapter 10 and verse 10, and the Lord Listen to what it says, because Joshua didn't sit there. He did what he had to do humanly, that is human responsibility. When he embarked on it, then the Bible says, the Lord discomforted them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter of the Gibeon. We're not talking the natural, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And this is the benefit of that weight. When you go through, you learn to be a prayer warrior. You learn to be a deliverer. Why? You learn this. Great burden, and yet in the Lord that God has given you, out comes a prayer warrior, out comes a pastor, out comes what would be in the technical field, the academic field, a breakthrough. It comes out of the most difficult moments of your life. Interesting, isn't it? When you read the book of Judges and when you see what Gideon and the 300 does, it's amazing in chapter 7 and verse 22. Uh, the book of Judges, chapter 7, verse 22, simply says, and the 300 blew the trumpets. Now, this is uh, 300 against the massive odes without number. I mean, he had 22,000, 132, then come down to 22, then came down to nothing, and God said, no, just 300 people. That's not the ratio. That's just not the way you go to war. But they have learned something very important. Strategic number one, what you need to understand is I'm giving you this burden. Not by the number. The moment David counted his men, the moment David realized I've got the fighting force, the finest of them, God said, okay, go ahead with your finest. He was defeated. He learned a very important lesson. But here is 300, and they blew the trumpet, and the moment human responsibility takes place in this burden, the lesson you learned, then comes the sovereign work of God. God set every man's sword against, excuse me, there's total confusion, anarchy. These people are fighting against themselves, so much so they were running away from all over. What took place? The enemy came to score to scorned you, the enemy came to scatter you, but they literally got crushed. They were scattered. You find this over and over and over again. When you take six, uh, Second Kings chapter, I believe chapter 7 and verses 6 and 7 and 8, you find a tremendous lesson here. This is what happened, uh, for the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear the noise of chariots. Remember when you uh, in the beginning, Elijah had mentioned that uh, so much so would be in a time of famine, uh, you would be able to get the food and the flour and the barley. And one of the king's uh, aide who was in the high position laughed and said, what are you talking about? Because he did not hear spirit to spirit. He could only hear what the CNN News and Fox talks about. But I want you to realize the prophet had heard from God. But just so that you know, when the prophet began to pray, yet said, this is what happened, and you lose your life because you didn't believe what I said. Now comes, the Lord made the host of the Syrians to hear noise of chariots, the noise of horses, even the noise of great host. And they said to one another, Lord, the king of Israel hath hired against us kings of the Hittites. No, the reality was, 
Israelite would hold up in a little place waiting to die. They had no money. They had no means. They didn't have food. How could they hide anyone? But God did the rest. And so they said, the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians have come upon us. They're the devil wants you to imagine all crazy stuff. Now they're imagining crazy stuff. They're frightened. The next verse goes on to say, Wherefore they rose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys in the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. Not a fight, and yet the forces who come against you have run for all they are worth. Verse 7, verse 8 goes on to say, And when the full leprosy people who were sitting outside the camp heard this, they said, let's go in, into the camp. They were thrown out of the city. They become the messengers of hope. They become the messengers of salvation. God can take the least and make you great if only you have eyes to open. Your desperate situation calls you to be able to look behind the Lord and see, oh my God, what a treasure, what principles of word that God has given. That is very powerful. That is tremendous, isn't it? So when you go through this passage, I want you to realize something very significant. It happened to Jehoshaphat. Uh, I don't need to run through, you know, every time we go into Second Chronicles chapter 20, and the moment he looked, not one, not two, not three, uh, three armies, uh, big armies come together as a confederacy coming against, and Jehoshaphat was afraid. But you and I would have expected every great king, every great leader to call in and strategize, call in the general, call in the experts, call in the consultants, bring the finest and the greatest and the Harvard-educated. Joshua, Joseph didn't do that. What he does is he goes to God in prayer. He cries out to God. Like Ezekiah, when he received a threatening letter, he went to the house of God with the threatening letter and said, look, look what they say, Lord, but this is who you are. This is who you are. You are the great sovereign God. Jehoshaphat does something else. He proclaims a fast and he tells the whole nation to fast and pray. And then he does something strange. He sends the singers. I'll talk about it in just a moment. And even more strange, as he begins to do what would be human responsibility, like Joshua did, like, like you find um, uh, Moses and Aaron did in the spiritual, something takes place as even Gideon did with the 300, then God begins. You take the first step, God moves in the spiritual realm. So he sends out the force, but even before he could get there, God already started the work. In fact, when you turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, from verse 22 to 23, you come to this uh, amazing realization. When they began, when they began to do what was humanly possible in the natural, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambushment against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, but they got smitten. Read the next verse in verse 23. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Now these three are basically scattered they're fighting against each other. There's a total confusion. When they made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped destroy each other. So that by the time Joshua, Jehoshaphat and the army comes in, there's nobody. It's totally God had taken care. But really, they started out, and this is a lesson worth learning. Thank God, blessed be the Lord, who daily burdens, put this load, not of pain, 
but of blessing, of benefit, that we've learned something very important. And every time we go through some episode or some incident or the other, and when we come to that, oh God, why did you put this burden on me? Then we realize, thank God for that burden. I've come to know things better. I've come to know God better. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I want you to realize in the midst of all of this, the prayer of this man, David, in the, in, when he was fleeing, when he was in the wilderness, when he was in the des desert, when he was in the caves, running from, and you were supposed to say he's going to be a king. What type of a king is he? My friend, that is training to reign. What is important? You can never reign without being trained in what would be the wilderness and the caves and the things that other people say, what a burden. That is what makes him. That is what made him the greatest king. Now, listen to what he says in uh, this passage in Psalm 33 and verse 10. He's crying out and he's saying, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught and he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Remember, Ahitopel and Absalom had planned to totally destroy this is his own son together with one of his greatest counselors. This man was the most intelligent counselor. But then his plan came to naught and actually Aethopel committed suicide. And of course this Absalom had been killed. I want you to realize everything that they try to do and things that they do against you turns around. And the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs, he that digs a pit for you actually falls into the pit. But there's something you need to do. You need to stand up, whether plead the name of God, plead the blood of the Lord Jesus, seeking out. You have to do what you have to do, and God begins to do what he alone will do. What is tremendous is the amazing way that you find the book of Psalm. Christ talks about it. I don't know where it is, but in Psalm 35, there is a particular passage where he says, Lord, I cry to you, scatter my enemies. We don't know, go there is a lot of things in the psalm. But let's go to the third thing that we find, the weight or the Lord or the burden that God gives. He, he puts such a load. He puts such a weight, but it is a weight, the boulder, the luggage, the great weight that we go through, the burden that we say, is going to hurt me, actually has blessed me. It is called the benefit when you look behind it. So let's look at the second one. And you find that in Psalm 68, coming back to Psalm and verse 2. Look what he says. As a smoke drives, so drive them. As wax that melted, so let the wicked perish at the presence of the Lord. Now, the second, the third point I want you to know, we finish the first second. Let's just look at the third, and that's found in verse 3. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, let them exceedingly rejoice. What are you talking about? I mean, when you're going through hardship, when there's such a load that God has put upon you, no man has been a doctor without the Lord. They go through that process. No man or a woman has gone through whatever they are. You are where you are because you are able to take the Lord. Take up the Lord while you're young, while your bones are still young. That is what the book of Lamentation says because then you'd be able to handle it. So spiritually or emotionally or in terms of chronologically, take the Lord. Don't deny it because they are the reason that is the training to make you, whether in the natural or in the spiritual. 
What is so powerful is when you look at this, let God, uh, it says, be glad and rejoice. You're going to find over and over again, um, let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice uh, before God. Let the righteous be glad and let them rejoice. There's a powerful principle at play here that you find it over and over again in the episode. And the Lord Jesus Christ talk about the joy that is in you is not like happiness dependent on happenings. Your joy is in you. Nobody can steal, nobody can take it away. No matter the fire that you go through, nobody can take the joy. And the more they try to destroy you, the more they expect you to curse and to take the name of the Lord in vain and blaspheme God, the more you're going to worship the Lord. So. The early Christians found a tremendous thing, just like the Old Testament principle. The enemy tried to stand them, and they increased the more, and they were worshiping the more. You could never take away the worship and the joy from people who know the Lord. That's a principle that God burdens us with the Lord to give thanks and to be glad, to be glad, to be glad, to be glad. Isn't it awesome? You know, this is amazing when you uh, look at the principles that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about, particularly I think in Matthew chapter 5 verses 11 and 12 may, um, probably, it just tells you when you are persecuted, this is what he says, rejoice. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, scream, shout, and curse. Verse 12 says rejoice and be exceeding Glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Isn't it incredible? Isn't that awesome? And that's basically what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke as well. In very powerful way, uh, he says, you know, don't rejoice because you have control over the spirits of Satan, but rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That is amazing. Rejoice, little flock, for it is your father's delight to give you the kingdom. You know, in a time when you have that weight of things going on, all of a sudden you are looking beyond to something you never learned, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God gets closer, that is, the king, and everything to do with the principle of kingdom becomes closer to you in your time of burden, in your time of deserts, in your time of wilderness, in your time when you are saying, this is the worst day of my life. The worst day of your life literally turned out to be the greatest and the best day when you have learned some very important nuggets of principle that you never had if you hadn't gone through that burden. So he daily loaded us with benefits. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our salvation. This comes from God. Not to hurt me, not to beat me, but to bless me. You don't understand the prayer warriors and those precious people that cry in agony, pray. They burden themselves like a, like a woman in travail. It may be the job that you're doing. It's the training you're doing in the natural, professionally, or in any way. Oh, it's like a great, when will this, when am I going to come out of this? I'll, I thought doctor is being easy. I thought engineering is easy. I thought being in the academic field is easy. Oh, it's a Lord. Oh, it's a Lord. 
And then comes the birth of the child. It is like things were lifted up. And the woman who agonized and cried is simply dancing and singing, holding that little child. That is the product of your labor. That is the product of your, what you called a burden. It was not a curse. It's the greatest blessing to hold. The one that was a burden to you became the joy of a man-child being born. Give the Lord a clap offering. You know what I find so amazing is uh, when you see the greatest things that happened through the crucibles of fire, some of the finest things have come out. We learn certain principles. What in the desert, in the wilderness, in all of the cruel entreatings of Saul and his army were doing and intended to do to David, what do you think came out? Songs, joy, gladness. He's called the sweet psalmist. Where do you think the psalm was written? In the crucible of that burden. It was out of that came the greatest song, whether then or even today across the world, whether it be Euro or Afro or Asia or whatever, Spanish, the best of the worship tongue has come out of people that have gone through a burden. And voila, it just released. Oh, it just came automatically? No, it was their burning. They went through it. They were crying over it. They were mooling over it. And suddenly as they mused and prayed, the Lord gave them the lyrics. The Lord gave them the music. And today we sing and we are blessed. But remember, it came out of a burden. It came out of pain. It came out so much. But God said, who daily loads us with benefits. Who daily burdens us with that benefit. Oh, I need that benefit. You need that benefit. We all need that benefit. That burden comes in a disguise for Christians as a blessing. What is so powerful is Paul writes most of his epistle while he was not in a five-star hotel overlooking some beautiful, beautiful sea, but in a rat-infested prison. And look what he writes in that very difficult burden of being limited, imprisoned. You find that in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say unto you, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. You can see the messages of the Lord Jesus Christ over and over again. Rejoice. Don't be angry with this. Paraphrasing, it's powerful. There's so much to be upset about with the burden, but it is what brings the best out of the Christian. It what brings the best out of a man or a woman in through these difficult moments of burden. I want to just say very importantly, when you look in the fourth lesson that we learn, that is found in basically the same that you'd find in verse, uh, I think verse four, let's read. 68 and verse 4, it says, Sing unto God, sing praises unto his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah. Oh, there's so much to cover. We've done this in Thanksgiving, so I'm going to just say this, my friend. Whether it be Joshua, whether it be David, whether it be Josephat, whether it be Ezekiah, whether it be Paul and Silas in the prisons, in the, 
in Philippian prison. They've learned a very important in the limitations in what would be when God had allowed that load of burden, when God weighed them down with that burden, when God put them through that prison or that terrible situation. Think about it, Paul and Silas began to pray in the middle of the night, stalked and imprisoned, and then comes what would be a jailhouse rock. I want you to realize, my friend, that's the same thing with the book of Joshua. When the Jericho fell, that's the same thing with Job. That's the same thing, almost everything that you find is a powerful, tremendous principle. You know, I like the way Psalm 147 and verse 1 begins, and that's the way Psalm ends too. What a tremendous way. Praise you the Lord, for it is good to sing praises. It is good to praise the Lord, for it is pleasant and praises calmly. And verse 7 goes on to say, in fact, the entire from there is powerful. He says, sing unto God with thanksgiving. Sing unto God and to praise upon the harp. Let's just read again 68 and verse 4. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Exhort him that rideth upon his heaven by his name Jah, and rejoice before him. Sing unto God. When you go through the pressure, when you go through the burden, a lesson that's a lifetime and eternity, because when you cross to the other side, this is what's so important. You become a wonderful, dynamic praiser, worshiper, singer. Remember, it is what Jehoshaphat did. Instead of sending the finest soldiers up, he sent the singers, he sent the worshippers. You can read that. We don't need to go through all over again. This is a very powerful principle. Let me do quickly what would be the fifth lesson, and then the next lessons are very interesting. We'll do God willing next Sunday. Listen to what it says in Psalm 68 and verse 6. He brings the solitary into families. He bring out those which are bound with pain, chains, and the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Maybe you are that solitary. Maybe you've been through this journey yourself, by yourself, and when you read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, you find this pilgrim, Christian, has a companion in and out, and thank God for them. We're not alone. We have people that are like-minded, that share with us. And I want you to know when you embarked on a journey and you struggled, you became, it was like a lonely man. It was like a lonesome. It's the worst thing to be lonesome. It's so terrible to be all by yourself until you realize, no, you are not alone. I went through a period in my life, the most lonesome situation in my life. And I sat down to write a book called Between God and a Dog. G-O-D, D-O-G. The reason is I had a God I couldn't understand with all the situation I was going through, and I have a dog who didn't understand what I was trying to communicate. God is of the utmost, and not in any way our puny minds would be fully able to know everything about God. And the dog, in many ways, does not know what we are thinking. It's caught between God and a dog, I want you to know we are in the midst of it, and yet through Christ we know him, and we get to know all of the Father's desire. He's not there to punish us. Abba loves us better, greater than our human fathers ever did. No matter how loving they would have been, 
Nothing compares. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then along life's way, we found that we have friends. And we met people. And then we met life companions. And then God adds to our life with children. And we are blessed. And so this is what God does. And if you are single today, just stand upon the promise of God and know that go to him and say, Lord, I'm a solitary. God put them into families. But one thing very important I wanted to understand is a principle that you find that, uh, that Paul writes about in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And he calls it the family of God in whom heaven and earth are named. So there's not only the family here on, in heaven, but also here on earth, and that is the family of God. There are many ways in which the church is referred to, and one of this is a family, and we realize how important this is. I want to realize what God does is he takes us from wherever we come from, and he puts us into a family. This is important because it is a local body, and there's a universal body, and then there is an internal body in heaven, and we will ultimately go to our home, our family, the DNA of God. But what is powerful is we're not lonely. He never will leave us. He will never forsake us. He is with us every moment of our day. He is closer than a brother, and we are not lonely. We have someone who is so special. That is the amazing aspect of God. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with a living God, sovereign. And also the fact is we know him as Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. It is not blasphemy. It is the most awesome lesson all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Let me just say this. You think about people that are added into the church is powerful. Look at what it talks about in First um, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. Here is Timothy, a young man. Obviously, he was born into a family. His uh, father was a Hellenistic person. He's um, uh, Greek. And yet in the midst of it, he met a man who literally was a spiritual father. He says unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, aren't you glad that there are spiritual children, there are spiritual fathers, there are spiritual mothers, there are spiritual daughters? That is the family of God. God adds us not based on religion or based on color or, or culture. God brings them together to have a vital relationship with the Almighty God through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. What is incredible is there are times when people disappoint us. And in the case of a man called Mark, what a disappointment. Young Mark grew up in his mother's house with a church and obviously met with people. Paul met with him. And what is so powerful and tremendous is Paul was able to reach out and he joined in the first expedition. Uh, but it was a total failure for Mark. He was so frightened, he ran off as fast as his two feet could take him. But I want you to realize, years have passed, now Paul is in prison, Paul is writing the prison epistle, and he talks about the end days, he wants a blanket, he wants parchment books to read, but he's asking for a special person. When you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, this is this last letter. He says, only Mark is with me, take Mark. Uh, only Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him 
with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. No, I've opened my heart and realized, my goodness, he may have failed me in the first trip, but what an asset he has become. What you would have thought was a failure actually becomes, surprisingly, a Lord that actually becomes the greatest blessing. Not only the fact he came back, he realized he could get back in, he began to spend time, he began to learn things that most people wouldn't. As a young man, he began to train under Peter. As a young man, he began to learn things that many others would have not. But listen, this costly error on his part actually made him. And Mark, by the time when Paul was in prison, of all things, apart from the blanket in a cold cell, and apart from books that he could read, he wanted none other than Mark, who was very important, who's profitable. Mark instantly wrote the gospel according to Mark. That is how you and I and everyone could make ourselves to be in the family of God, no matter what a Lord, what a burden we have been to others, or what others have been to us. God takes that Lord, and the Bible simply says, He loads us with benefit. Mark is profitable. You are profitable. You are added into the family of God. Become profitable no matter what day, what time. Be in season and out of season doing your ministry. So let me just close with this. We'll continue next Sunday. Psalm 68 verse 19 get to know it get to memorize it because we'll be in this talking next Sunday let's read together if you can stand together before the choir comes to sing I want you to say this loud and say this clear when you realize oh my God thank you for the burden thank you that you loaded me let's read that blessed be the Lord who daily loaded us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Pause, seller, think about it. Thank you, Lord. Amen.